Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Is love really powerful enough to transcend space and time? Does Professor Brand and Dr. Mann's acts of selfishness, hubris, and ego take away from their incredible performances? And how many times did I get Ryan to cry? That's right. We're going to answer those questions and more on today's episode while we discuss the heartbreakingly magnificent sci-fi epic Interstellar from 2014. This is the Uncultured Cinematic Universe, the podcast where two friends uh, and maybe sometimes their spouses <laughs> uh, show each other movies, shows, anything else we damn well please that they absolutely need to see or experience. I am your host, Justin, and while the cat is away, Joe, uh, in the hot seat today, back by popular demand, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ryan Jackson. It's me. It's you. It's a me. Welcome back to the show. This is your second <laughs> showing, a strong showing. How's it feel <laughs> being back? It's been six months, right? Since the last time we did this? We did it in June. Uh, yeah, and that's the six months. So, well, damn near. no, we did it in July because June was Pride, July was Blockbusters. Okay, so about four or five months. It's been a while. It's been, but a good time. Yeah. Uh, this is fun. I so, always have a lot to say. And most of you, most of the time, you guys don't get to hear it. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> it is fun to go back and listen to, or at least to to listen to the episodes together in the car. And some of your comments are either like nice additions two that like would have been welcome in the conversation or it's like something uh i or joe is about to say yeah so like that's You're how like, you should just sit tight hold on it's coming that's how you know like <laughs> we're all on the same wavelength um yeah so this is the end of uh towards the end of november holy shit this yeah. is the second episode of november and we are wrapping up the another wild card month uh joe decided to leave uh, like he does for the great Northeast of America, <laughs> just traveling all, traveling all around. So, um, yeah, we prepared for this, uh, yes. week and weeks ago. We knew that you were going to be back on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, what did, what did you think just broad brushstrokes, uh, when I proposed watching this movie? I didn't know anything about it. You asserted that it would make me cry. Yes. You were correct. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I didn't know anything about it. I You could tell from the promo that it was a space movie mm -hmm. and that Matthew McConaughey was going to be in it. Yeah. That was it. That's all I got. And you know what? Like that, I think that was what a lot of people took from it. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump around and kind of give my uh, connection to it and... Uh, you know, introduction to this movie. And it was exactly that. It was like, it's a space movie with Matthew McConaughey and that's it. But the big kicker, and I've talked about this before is, um, uh, I, I know you don't know like directors and actors names and stuff like that, but, uh, you know who Christopher Nolan is. If I, I were to know say his name, you mm -hmm. know, his name, but I've heard you're it familiar with the movies that he has done. You, I couldn't list them. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll help with that. Um, so Christopher Nolan, uh, most noted for doing the Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, uh, oh, he's, okay. Memento, Dunkirk, like those heady movies, things like that. Um, so he had already made a splash with a bunch of those movies prior to this one. So 
he had always always done like grounded type grounded you know as opposed to in the space <laughs> in the space yes <laughs> is that what you mean <laughs> okay <laughs> uh yeah like on the earthbound earth <laughs> earthbound type of things um so when it's like oh christopher nolan is doing a movie about traveling to outer space it's like oh shit that sounds awesome um because uh he has um you know a masterful hand of directing uh getting the most out of his performers and uh, uh of course we'll touch on this in a little bit but um he's known for having an incredible working relationship with hans zimmer who did the score hans zimmer did the score for several of his other movies the dark knight trilogy inception um which have you know, sweeping, orchestral, gigantic, uh, instantly recognizable pieces. And this one is no different. Um, yeah, so seeing the trailer, it was like, oh, uh, space movie, whatever. Oh, directed by Christopher Nolan. I don't care what it is, who's in it, sign me up. Matthew McConaughey, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't remember this happening in 20, I don't know, 2014. I have no recollection of this movie existing. So I had no frame of reference at all. Yeah, so this was post uh, Dark Knight Rises. Um, after this was after Inception came out, so he was just hitting home runs left and right. Uh, so he had he was on this really strong trajectory towards the early mid aughts of just like he can do no wrong, and um, he's done obviously he's done several other movies after this Dunkirk, which is like a war movie which I never haven't seen yet, uh, but that is on the list. I think Joe has seen it, so maybe we can... Well, one of you needs to see it or else it doesn't work yeah. for the for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and then most recently he did Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. So, you know, big sweeping epics, uh, a lot of practical effects and stuff like that is what he's known for. Uh, and then also like really interesting twists he, mm -hmm. he throws in. Uh, he works a lot with his brother, Jonathan Nolan, uh, Jonathan Nolan is also became a, his own household name working with, I can't remember who else, but, uh, they co-wrote, uh, Westworld. Wouldn't it be funny if I knew that name? Wouldn't it be funny? <laughs> I don't Holy know. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, you mean this person? <laughs> yeah. Right. No. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, so that, that's how that, that is exactly how I came to it. Of just like space movie, whatever, Matthew McConaughey, cool. Christopher Nolan was the ceiling piece for it for me. Um, Let's let's hit some some first impressions. Uh, you know, we're we're ten minutes into the movie, that kind of stuff. What do you think you signed up for, and what uh, what were your thoughts? Um, ten minutes in, we so the way we watched this was we were in the living room. We each had a controller for the PlayStation with a headset because he said that the score and the the sound was really important to the movie. So rather than trying to rely on our sketchy TV speakers in our sound bar. He plugged us in so that we could really experience it. And for the first at least 10 minutes, all I can think is I don't like Matthew McConaughey this close to me. I hate the way he speaks. <laughs> he sounds like someone doing a bad impression of Matthew McConaughey. The way that he says, I just, I want to, it make, I didn't like it. So it took me a long time to move away to from away, that. Yeah, to get and over I was like, that. oh, John, John Lithgow? Oh, yeah, John Lithgow. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's here. And that little girl, they cast that little girl really well. She looks like she could legitimately be his family. Yeah, yeah. That brother's a piece of shit. Somebody needs to do something about him. Oh, yes. But mostly I was having a real problem with having 
Matthew McConaughey whispering in your whispering ear. <laughs> in my ear. I didn't. I, it took a long time to get around it. Yeah, I can. That that's like one kind of like criticism I think that is known for this movie is that it like McConaughey is is full on McConaughey in this flick. It's too um, much. It is a lot. It can be a lot. Um, and then also like trying to suspend belief of just like, oh, he's this brilliant scientist. I mean, actor's not an actor. Kind of I can get past. I can put sure. whoever in the role, but like, why is he got to talk like this? And he's got to I mean, be he's a, from, uh, he's <sighs> Texas. He ain't going to talk like that. I, I mean, guess. okay. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the next time we watch another McConaughey movie, we will. <laughs> unplugged. <laughs> we'll do it unplugged. <laughs> Uh, another one I want to watch is Dallas Buyers Club. And I think he took home an Academy Award for that one. I'm not sure. Um, but that's another good one. Um, yeah, so it took a little bit to kind of warm up to it. It took a minute to warm up to it. And then like some of the initial um, big plot points like uh, the world is a dust bowl and um, the education system, they're Ooh, literally... Uh, removing and replacing textbooks, which in 2014 probably sounded like a far, far reach, but Absolutely. in 20, nearly 2024, mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of, kind of almost our reality if somebody doesn't do something. I kind of, it, it is interesting that we do these movies. So this is the second one we've done. The first one we did was Terminator 2. Mm -hmm. And when that movie came out in 1991. They're like, robots will never take over. And here we are. We're like, Alexa, could you like, do something <laughs> yeah and then uh going back like you said in 2014 we're like uh you know scrubbing books and rewriting history and all this kind of stuff food famine and all that kind of stuff now it's like oh shit that's that's pretty close um to what could happen uh you know i forgot about that aspect of it yeah because it, it's just like a couple throwaway lines in the beginning of the movie but it's just like oh but it's important and then they're like you know this generation is caregivers we don't need them to be smart in fact it'd be better if they were dumb yeah it's like uh. i mean it was kind of nice to hear that like there's no more military so that was kind of cool and everyone is kind of living off the land but the land is fighting against them whatever um the fight the industrial military complex so <laughs> um yeah, so I'm glad you warmed up to it pretty quickly. And uh, the the concept of the movie doesn't start to get heady until like pretty far in. It's pretty self-explanatory and like easy to kind of glom onto, right? Yeah. Well, and anytime they want, they, they're like, and this is uh, all of the corn because the potatoes and the other thing didn't work. Okay, everybody listening? Everyone <laughs> paying attention? Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good, good to know. Um, here, let me let me run down some some of the boring facts. Not boring. There's they're good stuff. There's good stuff in here, actually. Uh, so this movie was released November 5th, 2014. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan together. Score by Hans Zimmer. Budget of 165 million. Box office of 703 million. Did really well. Uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain. Bill Irwin. Now, if I say Bill Irwin, do you know who I'm talking about? The only Irwins I know play with crocodiles. <laughs> this one does not. This one plays with <laughs> Are crocodiles. you certain? <laughs> this one plays with Muppets. Oh, well, I was going to bring it around to Muppets, but I didn't. I don't know that. Well, here's I don't an, know that guy. Here's an early end. Bill Irwin, he did the voice of Tars and some puppeteering. That was an actual real life thing. Yeah, the first time those 
four-legged four-legged plonky robot showed up i was like oh what is this movie yeah and like the first time they show up they're kind of like going down the hallway mm-hmm. and it's all kind of rinky and they're got limbs flying everywhere and they pan away really fast and i was like oh they know it's bad yeah <laughs> and then they're around a lot <laughs> yeah but then they kind of start moving in interesting ways and doing yeah. more things but yeah real puppeteers bill Irwin. uh he is the original mr noodle from Elmo's world. Oh, how fun! The mustache and the curly hair, the tall, the really tall yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Irwin, a trained clown. A trained clown. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, this is his. <laughs> I know about Mr. Noodle. I can tell you all about Mr. Noodle. <laughs> <laughs> but I, can, I, I was looking through that, and I was like, oh shit, that's really cool. Um, Ellen Burstyn, uh, she plays uh, uh, old Murph. How old? The the oldest Murph, okay. <laughs> ancient Murph. Uh, so there's a connection right there to the exorcist. Ellen Burstyn was in oh. the exorcist, uh, in 1973. And here she is doing this. And then of course, Michael Caine is in this, um, uh, a big thing that people come to when they talk about this movie and what they think about is it had an actual theoretical physicist on board as a, uh, as an executive producer, as well as scientific consultant. Keeping them honest. Yeah. Uh, big Bang Theory did that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And so a lot of the stuff that there's a spewing, it's not just sci-fi. Like, whatever. They it's- don't just put nonsense on the blackboards like it's legitimate stuff mm-hmm. in case the people that are watching want to go, um, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Kip Thorne is his name. <laughs> he, he was the... Sure it is. <laughs> just crossing my T's and dotting my lowercase J's. Kip um, Thorne sounds made up. It's not. It's very real. <laughs> <laughs> A, a real uh, uh, celebrated theoretical physicist, uh, which I appreciate because um, this movie does a lot of uh, just kind of explaining away quantum physics yeah. and particle acceleration and things like that. And they did their homework, uh, which is really cool. Um, uh, they utilized extensive practical and miniature effects. As I said before, that's a common staple with nolan movies he likes to do that they you know in the dark night he actually flipped over a truck that was real it wasn't cg uh they really jumped or blew up a plane or whatever and the dark night rises and all that kind of stuff he loves and lives for that shit i like practical too it holds up better i feel like it looks so good and that's why i wanted to and, and this was the first time too when we watched this movie like all the lights were off except for the christmas tree um yeah i mean come on uh so like the visuals of this movie i think are so stunning and so um interesting the way that they did it and of course rooting it back to science the uh notably the black hole that was the f- that was like a obviously computer render of uh theorized mathematics of what it could and would look like um based on just all projections stuff like that but years later scientists actually observed a black hole like eating a star in space mm-hmm from the infrared and all that kind of stuff like it actually looked like the render that they did so their math checked the box it's pretty cool really cool and it looks really neat too so cool like it's spherical and then it has that weird hemisphere thing really Mm -hmm. neat this movie was nominated for five awards at the 87th academy awards best original score best production design best sound editing best sound mixing and one for best visual effects um which again, hats off to them because it is incredible. Uh, all right, let's see. Moving right along. 
we're just going to go ahead and just get this out of the way and do the plot. Okay. Uh, this thing has a timer on it, right? It surely does. It's a whole iPad. I hope it's a it whole does. iPad. Um, great. Do you, are you, you ready? Sure. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to happen. Here we go. <clears throat> Uh, in three, two, one, one minute starts now. Um, so it's a movie where we, sh it's a movie where we show up and it's like a dust bowl and they're taking some testimony from some old people. You don't super know what their deal is yet. Um, and we meet Murph and her dad and her shitty brother and they live on a farm and Murph's dad's kind of bummed because he wants to be something other than a farmer. They don't make super clear what, but he's really smart and he plays with computers and they, happen upon a space thing a drone and they magically tap into it with his with his laptop and bring it down and that's a whole thing and then all of a sudden they go home during a dust storm and murph's books are flying off the oh i'm running out of time murph's books are flying off the shelf and it turns out to be a message and it sends them to nasa which they didn't know still existed but it does and michael kane is trying to figure out how to move the humans to a different planet and he has two plans and they're both kind of shitty and then it turns out at the end that it works out both ways, kind of. The end. <laughs> 45 <laughs> seconds of the first 10 minutes of the movie. I wasn't paying attention to the timer because I was trying to like look in the back of my brain to remember what happened. Like through the visuals yeah. of the movie. Yeah. I got it. There. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, Matt Damon's a shithead. And Matt, surprise, he Matt is. Damon is a shithead. <laughs> Surprise in no And Topher is. Grace is there for some reason. I don't know. Topher Grace shows up and he's like, hey, what? All right. Yeah. Uh those, yeah, those those two cameos are definite surprises. Yeah. Uh I remember seeing it in theaters and audible guffaws of is that Matt Damon? That's Matt Damon. Is that Matt Damon? That's Matt Damon. But <laughs> like, because you see they they open up the pod and you kind of just see up his nose for a second. And that's I know that knows. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> uh, he can survive anything. Yeah, it's like Jason Bourne in space, uh, which is really kind of funny because like this movie came out a little before The Martian. So people kind of equate him with just being in space for a couple of years. He goes to the audition. He's like, I've been in space before. Hired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, super cool. Uh, all right, let's move on down. And... Uh, We'll talk about what I think, in my opinion, makes this movie so iconic and kind of why I wanted to talk about it and uh, even just to, to get you to, to, to observe it and watch it. Um, so if I'm thinking of 2014, it had been it had been a minute since there had been a huge sci fi epic in cinema. Uh, I don't think. um uh, the the new Star Wars episode uh, seven had come out yet. I think it was about to 2015, 2016, I think. Um, uh, the the new trilogy started. Mm. So um, it had been a while since there was like this great sci-fi exploratory epic. Um, and and this was this was it for a long time. Uh, I already talked about, you know, the the trailer being super ambiguous, um, but like really intriguing of uh like it it was really just the shot of kind of just like some of the corn stuff just like people in a corn maze and maybe some overdub of mcconaughey or or <laughs> michael kane saying something 
profound. They were trying to get people to come. I hope it was Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine. Listen. Um, and but it was the the main thing that I remember from the first trailer is the shot of Coop leaving his house in his truck mm-hmm. and him just crying. And everyone's like, why is he so what's happening here? And then the final shot is just the rocket going up. And then it's just interstellar. And that's all they gave Matthew you. Matthew McConaughey is space cowboy. <laughs> A literal space cowboy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's all it was, but like, like I said, that's all it, I needed to be sold. And apparently a lot of other people too, uh, the trailer itself or not the trailer, the poster was also, uh, uh, super, uh, iconic in that, uh, regard. It had like a vertically stacked interstellar inside of the like blast from the rocket leaving earth. And that's all they gave you. Nothing else. Um, so super cool. I loved it so much. Um, uh, the themes of space and time travel are rooted in real science, which I think, you know, I'm, I'm always going to come back around. It's just like, you know, that's really cool that they did that. They didn't have to. They could have just, you know, just spouted whatever, uh, like most typical. Yeah, they could have just done whatever and then there would be angry Reddit threads about it, but it would be fine. It would be good enough. It would have been good enough. But the fact that they did their homework is just like, you know what? That's that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it's really great. Uh and uh, the grounded realism of the plight of Earth makes it all the more convincing, especially since like those kinds of things have happened in human history multiple times. You know, the, the famine that they talk about uh, in Ireland, the potatoes and all that. Um, very plausible, mm-hmm. plausible things. Um, before we come back around to I have this huge section, I want to talk about the poem, um, but we'll come back to that. They Let, want to talk about the poem, too. They said it like 16 times. Because it's so good. Uh, let's talk about the performances for a minute. Uh, let's come back to Matthew McConaughey. Um, did he. Did you warm up to him? Did you were you able to get past of having McConaughey just whisper? Into yes. Yeah. Um. After he had to leave, and then especially when they do the, they get stuck on that stupid water planet for what turns out to be 23 years, and then they come back and he has to watch all of the transmissions from his family. That's where I started, like, really, really paying attention. Because up until then, um, I was just thinking of, here's where I'm going to tie it to Muppets. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, once we got to NASA and they're explaining the whole thing of wormholes and travel, the only thing I could think about was Farscape. Yes. Do you remember Farscape? I remember Farscape, yeah. Where uh, John Crichton is just, he's also a space cowboy. They're not trying to find wormholes. He winds up slipping through one and mm-hmm. then he travels to all these different dimensions and meets all these quirky characters and it's Muppets and it's Jim Henson. Yeah. That's right. So for for like the first big long bit, were you I like, like, am I going to see a Muppet? Like we did this already. I've seen this. Uh-huh. I don't need Matthew McConaughey to whisper to me about a thing that I've already seen that was better because it had Muppets. Mm-hmm. And then they humanized it and made it a little better. Yeah, but Muppets. <laughs> Never <laughs> were not you, thinking were you waiting about Muppets. for a Muppet to show up. No, I knew there wasn't going to be a Muppet. I don't. Has Matthew McConaughey ever worked with a Muppet? I hope not. They hey. don't deserve him. Maybe. He doesn't deserve that. He he might have showed up as a guest on Sesame Street. I don't know. I hope not. Maybe he was in the Muppet movie or the second one. Maybe no, not. 
You would know that. I would know. <laughs> but I mean, there he's is a connection. Not, he's, he takes himself way too seriously. You can't be around Muppets when you think you're as important as he thinks he is. Listen mm-hmm. to him talk. Listen to him. Ugh. Listen to that country Texas accent. I don't care that he's Southern. I care that he's very whispery and thinks, so. I, ugh, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I think um, I think his performance is really charismatic. I feel like he got better as it went on. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he's he's kind of talking to his father-in-law, John Lithgow, and he's kind of, you know, spouting some kind of profound stuff of just like, you know, we forgot our place in the stars. And it's just like, this is too much. Um, but I think if it wasn't, if it was anybody else, um, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking like John Hamm or someone, I don't know, who kind of just like talks normally and just like, we forgot our place in this. Like, I don't think it would feel as much um, to me. Uh, I, I think his, I think McConaughey's performance is uh, utterly captivating and, and so incredibly human. Um despite his his breathy in spite of himself in spite of his own self (laughs) he tries real hard uh the raw emotion and real emotion he portrays is just um top tier i think and i want to know who won best actor for that year joe could tell us i bet i bet joe is screaming it in his car right now (laughs) and elbowing jonathan be like see i knew it i knew it um uh but but I think his performance is great. Um, he takes he he has a real nice complete arc uh, all the way through of feeling like he has to do his duty, finding he, you know his his motivations are strong and and true. Of, yeah, and he's like, I can just do this thing, and it'll be really quick, and it'll save around. my kids' future. And I'm gonna lose only like maybe a decade, couple decades at most. Like my kids, maybe they'll be driving by the time I come back. Yeah, so like no big deal, NBD, it's fine. We'll just shoot out to space, go through a wormhole, and come back. How bad could it be? Yeah. So, like, like, shame on him, I guess, for thinking that everything. Oh, that's the other thing. So, I part of the reason I was struggling in the beginning of the movie was because they just expect you to just be cool with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. This man's been farming corn for we don't know how long, and he just gets on a spaceship. Like they, he shows up to NASA Mm -hmm. unexpected and uninvited, and then like two days later, he's in space. And he's just do- like free balling this spaceship, like just docking it all. Like he does <laughs> this every it day. it all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, I did catch that this this last time too. It's like, isn't there like an extreme amount of training and preparation? Like period, even you have just to, go to prepare your actual like, conditioning your, your body, body yeah. to go through these things. And he's just like, ah, fuck it. I ride tractors. Yeah. It's like, well, you are a best pilot. We don't know. However how long, long ago. ago. <laughs> Maybe 10 years at no, least his, his older child was 15 yeah yeah so yeah older than that probably which i forgot to note yeah timothy chalamet a young baby timothy chalamet i don't care our willy wonka i didn't like him <laughs> he was kind of a shithead he was a big shithead all he did was be mean to his sister well he was nicer as a younger kid not a Case, lot casey affleck was kind of a dickhead the grown-up that that grown version of him. He was, was a, a dick. bigger dickhead, but the kid was always a dickhead. No, he's just like, hey, man, I just want to be a farmer. It's all good. He was mean to his sister all the time. Oh, yeah. He was kind of short. 
short with her because she had like illusions of grandeur. And saying, you know, Murphy's Law and just be picking on her for no good reason at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a kid. Um, what kids? Oh, yeah. Also, um, oh, I'll come to them in a second. Uh, Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. is a second billing. Oop, oh, you lost a visual. You get, a, you get to vamp. Well, while you're up, do you want to see what Joe's transmission is? We do have a transmission from from our baby Joe. That's right. Special transmission from Joe. Here that we, we haven't seen. We haven't. So we'll all get to watch this together. All right, here we go. Hey, Justin and Ryan. Uh, it's me, surprise villain, Matt Damon. Uh, I just woke up from cryo sleep here on my planet. Uh, and I just wanted to send a quick message to say that Everything's great here. Um, lots of trees and air and stuff. And, you know, you you can send the ship. Uh, send the guys. Uh, I'll just, I'll wait here for you. Um, what else? Uh, I think it's really great that we get to cover Interstellar this week on the podcast, which is a movie based on my life. Um, as a hero astronaut, I, I think that the visual effects in the movie are phenomenal. Uh, the score uh, and its organ smashing are iconic, and I especially love that for a sci-fi movie, it's a deeply emotional drama about love and humanity, uh, even when the gravity stuff gets a little, <laughs> what? Uh, so I really hope you talk about all those things. Um, and Tars and Case, uh, my favorite characters in all of cinema, please talk about them as well. Um, anyway, I'll let you get back to it. Uh, and I can't wait to listen to the episode when it finally reaches me in about 45 years. Uh, again, this is astronaut Matt Damon signing off and awaiting your arrival. There's, there's nothing wrong here, but please send help immediately. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Joe. Everything's fine. Lots of trees and things. <laughs> I, I would like to think that is exactly what Dr. Man, Matt Damon, sent. It was just like, yeah, 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 totally cool. Everything's fine. Thumbs up. Please hurry. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a, what a dick. What a dick move. Um, thank you, Joe, for your transmission. We were banking on it being a, uh, a, a recording similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was hoping for either the, uh, 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 Coop, uh, McConaughey version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was this was great. I did not expect that. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Joe, uh, villain spaceman Matt Damon, which no one saw coming. Yep, which really no one did see coming. Uh, obviously, he didn't get billing or anything like that on the um, posters or anything like that, and he wasn't allowed. For like the first two weeks of press junket stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Keep it secret, huh. uh, which is really cool. Uh, and also, uh, speaking of like two weeks after premiere or whatever, uh, Hans Zimmer didn't want to release the soundtrack to the public until two weeks after its premiere because he wanted people to experience it in the fil- in the theater, which is great. Um, because yes, that that score rips, Joe. You're right. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Second billing. Um, Andy. Andy. Yes. Oh, that's right. Bringing it right back around to episode one. Episode one. Right. Uh, from the Devil Wars Prada. Yes. Um, 
she may have imperfect motivations, but I think she's kind of ultimately screwed over the most. <laughs> um, she's kind of own dad. Her own dad. Her own dad shoots her into space, knowing she can do literally nothing. Yeah, it is all for naught. Uh, that sucks the worst. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the the exact opposite side of um father daughter relationship compared to uh, Coop and Murph. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she has a really strong, solid performance. Even if you know it's revealed later on that you know she was in love with um, Wolfie, Wolf Reinhardt. I don't remember his name. The other doctor scientist who's dead. Yeah. Um, whose planet we don't get to go to because we had to go to Waterworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to Waterworld. and learn about the theory of relativity. Relativity. Uh, theory of re- relativity, as well as um, is it relativity? Is yeah, that... because of the gravity and the hours pass differently there. They didn't occur. To oh them yeah, that's right. That... And the time is relative to where. where yeah. Yeah, 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 because it was so close to the black hole, it was literally stretching so space. It, they time. thought that they, like, without actually thinking about it, they thought that they had been getting solid data for years. But and they're like, oh the, shit, the space lady, the astronaut, had only actually been on her planet for, for like I'm... an hour, yeah. and she was dead as fuck. Yeah, super dead, super drowned. Yeah. Um, and if they had just thought about it for a second, like, oh, one hour here is 10 set seven seven years on earth mm-hmm. then they could have really thought about it but they were in such a hurry because all of a sudden they're like matthew mcconaughey's here we got to get him in a rocket go 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 everybody go yeah and okay so i can kind of ex- not explain it away but it makes sense i guess that they had been working in secret uh, nasa had and it was kind of even though it was built on a, a web of lies uh, plan A was kind of hush hush and hurried and all that kind of stuff. So we, like we need to talk about these plans. So like whatever, yeah, just two plans. Come up with like three, four, well, five plans. And neither plan had a plan beyond. This is the, okay. Um, so plan A was we're gonna send our humans to these planets and they're gonna establish a base and we'll send more humans once we figure out this equation of gravity. Right. The average Joe is not getting on a rocket to some planet on the other side of a wormhole, so good luck with that. But then plan B? Plan B was, we have all these embryos. Where did you get those embryos? Number one, I'd like to know. If yeah. you're a secret space organization, where'd you get all these hundreds of embryos? Mm-hmm. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And then two, when they get to the planet and they're supposed to cook them up or whatever they do, who's going to take care of these children? Yeah. One fucking astronaut? Who's gonna, <laughs> and what are they feeding them? Is there an infamil plant on planet space? X, whatever? Yeah. Like, what are they feeding these kids? You're going to have 72 infants and one adult and no food. But it's repopulating. The, yeah. What is happening? Yeah. Like, if it's just Dr. Brand, Anne Hathaway's character on that planet, and she's like, well, I got to go be super mom. To 94 well, infants that all grow in and, you know. The older they get, the more troublesome they become. Maybe they have so many so that they can feed some of them to the other ones. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They don't, have a, they don't have a plan. That's the right. The plan is babies. Babies, as far as the eye can see. Like, what? They don't have a plan beyond the babies. Right. And yeah. even getting them to be babies. Like, do they just... Someone's got to carry them to term. Well, no, because and... they, they briefly speak about it. Michael Caine's like, well, incubate, I don't know. 50, I don't know how many he says, but we'll incubate so many of these embryos. And then those ones will grow up and they'll make more babies. 
And then so they're also take care not going to give them sex ed. They're just going to turn them loose and see what happens. Because we got to repopulate. Because we got to repopulate. But what? How do they? These initial babies. Who's going to take care of them? What are they feeding them? What is? Big questions. There is no plan. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, what's the opposite of foolproof? Shoddy. Shoddy. <laughs> it's bad. Full, 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 full. <laughs> so much full, it's foolishness. So bad. It is a bad plan. And then the plan A is like, go discover a new planet. And by the time you get back, like, I'll have fi- <laughs> It's the it's the ultimate bullshit of like, I'll procrastination. Like, I'll do yeah. it later. I'll well, then you find out. out he knew before he sent him. He had already solved unsolvable. the equation. It's it was unsolvable. Yeah. Unsolvable. Uh, is what it was. He told him he solved it, but he did not solve it. And that's that's where I kind of... Same as Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Noted shithead. Trees everywhere. <laughs> so many trees. It's good. There's come, a surface. Come look at all these trees. There's a subsurface. It's great. And maybe life. got to come here. Yeah. Totally cool. No big deal. No red flags. None. I'm Matt Damon. Um, come with me down this dark hole. It's totally fine. Yeah. I was, uh, I was trying to figure out and really pay attention to like, okay, so... Michael Caine has to solve the equation of gravity. And that's all they really speak to about it. It's like, I need to figure out gravity. Well, he has to figure out to make it how to make it more than three dimensions. To leave somehow. To leave. And it's so, so, like, manipulate the wormhole and time and space. I thought it and was. And they figured out that gravity is the key because they're getting all these m- gravitational anomalies that mm-hmm. are giving them these little pieces, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. It's it's and it's, these supreme beings are in five dimensions. Yes. So yes, being in being one dimension higher gives you master over the others below you. What's the fourth dimension? Is it like time. on? Oh, okay. It's not like on a ride where it's like it's four D, where it's three D, and then they like blow air on you. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a different four D. <laughs> different. Um. So we are three dimensional beings experiencing the fourth dimension of time but we don't have mastery over it. We are like... Is that why we can't get rid of daylight savings? We're like, we will move this hour around. Once we get to, once we become fourth fourth dimensional beings, then we will have mastery over it. And then Um, we can stop doing daylight savings. Then we can fucking stop it finally. Fucking finally. Yeah. um, The, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, the, the scientific equation is just like I need to solve gravity, and I thought my interpretation of it was, in order to leave the Earth, in order to like, because to like blast a rocket off into space, you're fighting against the gravity of the Earth, mm-hmm. and you use a lot of fuel or whatever to. So in order to like make yourself lighter, you have to like negate. Oh, uh, see, the way gravity. I interpreted it was gravity was the key to them being able to understand how to manipulate time. Mm, mm-hmm. Somehow, right? Some yeah. sort of like time travel-ish, yeah. timey-wimey stuff kind of thing. All confusing. However, rooted in science. So like, way to go. Super yeah. cool. I um, believe them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Murphs performance. The Murphs is three mm-hmm. of them. Uh, Mackenzie Foy, young Murph, Jessica Chastain, mid-Murph, El- Ellen Burstyn, old Murph. Um, you see old Murph first. Mm-hmm. You don't the, know it's her yet. Yeah. Um, but you're like, is that Ellen Burstyn? Yes, it is. Doing like the the video documentary kind of thing, um, which is cool. That's a neat little kind of throwaway thing. Uh, Mackenzie Foy, uh, does that young actress look familiar to you? No. No? Uh, she played 
young Renesmee in Breaking Dawn 1 and 2, or 2, part 2. Oh, I mean, that was a long time ago. And wasn't she like heavily CGI'd in that movie? There was the nightmare CGI version of it, but then like once she like, it turns a certain age and she can just be a person, that was her. Um, But yeah, that was, that was her claim to fame. And then getting this role uh, is incredible. Uh, I thought it was good casting. Like they looked like, I don't think the two siblings looked like siblings but she definitely looked like she could be matthew mcconaughey's kid mm-hmm. and then the aged up version of her jessica chastain also good casting also great casting mm-hmm. there uh and i already talked about how um uh timothy chalamet and um uh, Whatever casey, affleck, affleck, yeah. casey affleck that was a great one too um believable putting them side by side that's what he would age into i didn't like either one of them yeah kind of a dickhead they were shitty i didn't yep. like them uh but Jess- and then his whole family gets TB, I guess. What is their coughing disease? They're just breathing in dirt, I guess. Yeah, maybe it's TB. Who knows? Where Where is um, Topher trying to take him? We don't Underground, know. Underground. Back, oh. back to NASA with him. For what? Just to get out of the... Stop breathing dirt. <laughs> Come underground. What about literally everybody else? Fuck them. I don't know. Fuck these guys. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, but, you know, it's my girlfriend's, I guess. Family. We've never met him before until he gets in the Jeep and they're driving to her family home. Yeah. She's like, come on, Topher. Let's go to my house. <laughs> I'm like, Who are you? <laughs> uh, love interest or whatever, or fellow scientist or doctor. We find out at the end. He's a doctor. He's a doctor. Yeah. Uh, but Jessica Chastain, um, I think she also had a great, um, a great performance. Not as nuanced, I think, as Mackenzie Foy's. Being the, uh, I mean, it's it's easier to kind of emote the, or at least the the handful of scenes that, um, uh, young Murph had to had to do were more impactful. I think. Yeah, well, and she had more of a range in the beginning where she started out like happy kid, and she's like, oh no, you have to meet with the principal, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she's heartbroken. She's mm-hmm. on this adventure with her dad that she thinks is going to be really cool, and then it turns out to be this thing that's going to take him away, and then she's heartbroken second Murph just has to be mad for a really long time. Madness. So she spends two thirds of her performance being very angry mm. and she doesn't actually get to be a character yeah. until way later. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Ellen Burstyn is just there for a second to be just old Murph um, just to, to firmly just end the chapter of, of Murph, which is really cool. Um. Let's let me run back through. Oh, she said something that really got me at the very, very end where she had been in cryo sleep for two years or whatever, and they oh, woke yeah, her yeah. up. And um, Matthew McConaughey's like, Why are you, you still are here? Mm-hmm. How did you know I would come back? And she mm-hmm. says, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to cry on camera. <laughs> well, you know what she says. Oh, I know what she says. That was <laughs> that was the last one. Uh, so we watched this movie in two sittings. Yeah. She says, my dad promised me. Mm-hmm. So good. So we watched this movie in two sittings. And the first one had the 23-year transmission one. And I knew that scene was coming up. And I was like, oh, God, this is the hardest scene to watch. And there's a couple other ones in there, too, where he had to leave. Uh, and I was like, okay, we're, we're good for a minute. Or, or actually, I think we're good when we came back to night two, I was like, it's just like action adventure. The way he cut it off was right before. Did, had we met Matt Damon? Yeah, we just, we met had Matt just met, met, met him. We had just gotten to his planet 
and we were and I was like, okay, I think I know what the plan's gonna be. This, I'm I'm pretty annoyed by this movie. I'm really tired of listening to Matthew McConaughey talk. I what I think should happen is both the mats get back on the rocket and go home, and Anne and Rom, the other guy, they stay and they do the embryo thing. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, everybody wins. Nope. Matt Damon doesn't want to be here. McConaughey doesn't want to be here. They'll take the rocket and they'll go home. And then yeah. fucking McCon- uh, Matt, uh, uh, Damon. Damon. <laughs> all hell broke. Like 10 minutes into our second sitting, all hell broke loose. Yep. It's it's uh, 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 Michael Caine's character dies. And on his deathbed, the on last his deathbed thing- has to reveal to Murph that it was all a lie. Why? Why? He's like, oh, what? I lied to you this whole time and everybody else. Split. <laughs> and why? Why even say that? Yeah, why not and just? And then he was so hell bent on this stupid poem that he couldn't even tell her the whole thing. Anything. He just had to stop what he was saying because he's like, "Oh crap, I'm about to die," and then he has to start reciting this poem because he's dramatic. I guess I don't know. Old man loves drama. He's a drama king. He's a liar, and <laughs> he lives for the dramatics. Um, but yeah, so as She's soon like, as just like, tell me, just tell me, and he's like, "I only have a second. There's Do a not lot. Go swift." There's a lot of lines I got to get through. Don't don't bother <laughs> it's me. It's a long poem. <laughs> it's really not. There's only six stanzas. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we cut it off as soon as Matt Damon shows up and we come into night two. And I'm like, OK, all the heavy, uh, dramatic, uh, heartbreaking pieces are done. That's in part one. Part two is just action adventure. And we get to the end and there's like the wormhole travel again and all that kind of stuff. And then we show up back on. But then I forgot that there's there's a, a couple more heavy hitting pieces. That one scene is only a couple minutes long. But oh, man. Yeah. And I'm I kind of had be for a second of just like, wouldn't he want to like hang out and talk to her more and all that kind of stuff? But she can't. But she's she literally dying. literally dying. And she's she, like, I have my family put here. herself in a freezer so that she could see her dad one last time. And she's only she's already on oxygen. She's only gonna be alive for who knows how long. So she's like, good to see you, dad. I'm glad you came back. I'm glad I believed in you. I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> you should go. You should go. Don't watch me die. That's not nobody wants that. Get out. Yeah. So like the the ending can seem sudden. And I <laughs> I think I'm OK with it uh, ending the way that it does. Um, I thought I remembered it. I misremembered the ending of it's his own accord, his own idea of like, I'm going to sneak off and go and like after I see Murph and 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 leave uh, pretty unceremoniously, I'm just going to go sneak onto a, a, a ship and just go to a brand uh, her planet. But it's Murph's idea. Mm-hmm. He's like, what do I what do I do? What, where should I go? And he, she says, brand, go to go to her. She's waiting for you. And he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Uh, later. Deuces. See ya. <laughs> See you on the other side, kid. Um, so at first, I, I misremembered it being kind of like anticlimactic and kind of an undercut. But I think it's a really good ending, uh, the way that it kind of wraps everything up. Um, let's hit the significance of the poem. Because I know you're just like, ugh, this poem. It just kept coming up at the most inopportune times. Mm-hmm. And they just felt like they were just trying to drill it into you. And it's- because it is so good. Um, there's there's deep pieces to it. They didn't read the whole thing, which is fine. Um, but there's like really neat pieces that kind of tie it to the movie. And I think that's why. Uh, so the title is Do Not Go Gentle in that, Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. Basically, the whole premise of it is basically the human race won't and shouldn't give up or, you know, give up the ghost given to death without a fight. And that's the whole, you know, do not go gentle into that good night, death being the good night. 
um, you know, the, the thing that they always come back to is just rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, so there's that first stanza. And then it kind of talks about four essentially like types of like mankind or men that confront death. Uh, the wise man, the good man, the wild man, and the grave man. Um, and parallels between these can be drawn to several characters, but the wise man can be easily drawn to Professor Brand. Um, the poem says, though wise men at their end, no dark is right because their words have forked no lightning. They do not go gentle in the, to that good night. Um, so wise men at their end, they know the dark is right. They know that death was coming for them anyway, and that all of their efforts are futile. Um, and with words forked, no lightning, he couldn't change the outcome. He couldn't fork, uh, uh, a strike or solve the equation. So he, uh, does not go gentle into that good night. He kind of eases into it. The good men, good men, the last wave by crying how bright their final or their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay rage, rage against the dying of the light. So Coop is represented of the good men. Uh, he's a good father. He's a good man. His motivations are pure. He thinks he's doing the right thing. Uh, his frail deeds being his inept venture to be a hero, essentially, to oh. kind of uh, save mankind. The wild men, wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. That's Tom. That's the brother. Kind of a shithead. Uh, fighting the wrong fight, essentially. Um, he's like, dad left us. He's not coming back. I have to take care of the farm. He's fighting the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. He's ignorant to what harm he was actually causing. His kid's dying. His wife and other kid are deathly ill. Um, wild, right? But he goes gentle into that good night. Um, and the last one, the grave man, uh, which, of course, is Dr. Man. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Near death, he was, he says multiple times, you know, like, um, bringing me back from the dead. Like, as soon as I got here, I knew this planet had nothing for me. He was near death. Um, but his blind eyes could blaze like meteors. He's... Uh, He's refusing to see the truth of it, and he is acting out and lashing out against it, and he is raging. So it's interesting that Coop and Dr. Mann both rage, and they actually do fight against each other. It's pretty interesting. I love that poem. I think it's really cool, and I think it's interesting that they used it. Um, the goddamn score is so fucking awesome. It is. I'm sure you've heard it multiple times across TikTok without even knowing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it is that, um, uh, iconic, we will be posting, I'll send it to you. Uh, the thing I talked about on the previous episode, uh, just before Joe and I recorded, um, there's a good one of, of like how Hans Zimmer wrote the score to interstellar. And it's, it's a funny one. It's a funny one. It's hilarious. Um, but like I said, in that episode that solidified for me, I was like, yep, we're going to do interstellar because you wanted to do it for blockbuster, but it didn't meet the criteria. Right, right. It wasn't a summer blockbuster because right. it came out in November, all that kind of stuff. Um, Hans Zimmer is quoted as saying that this score is his favorite that he's ever written, uh, the best work of his career, um, which I believe it. 
It is uh, incredibly poignant and uh, simple, but um, I don't know something about it and and just the the music theory behind the way he constructed it uh, because it plays a lot throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is uh, uh, one of his best, I think. So there's a really neat story with how he came up with it. The the truth, not the funny one that we're going to post later. Um, so without revealing the plot to the to the movie, Christopher Nolan wrote a short story for Zimmer about a father leaving a child to complete an important job. The story contained two sentences of dialogue: "I'll come back," and "When." Nolan then asked Zimmer to spend one day composing some musical interpretations of the story. So on one night, Zimmer wrote a four-minute piano and organ piece that represented his idea of fatherhood. And when he played it for Nolan, Nolan was pleased. And (laughs) (laughs) he was like, that'll do. Um, And then he went on to explain the full plot and concept to him. But Zimmer was... uh, uh, admittedly kind of skeptical. He's like, oh, it's it's this this little plinky kind of sweet piano part. Uh, I, I don't think it'll, uh, you know, go with this giant epic space thing you just described to me. Um, but he but Nolan was like, no, no, no. Like that's that's that piece that you showed me. Like that's the heart of this movie. It is. And it is like Murph and Coop's theme, essentially, mm. which plays so many times throughout the movie, uh, which is great. And then um Joe talked about it. They used a real organ from a church, the uh, Temple Church in London from 1926, this giant, humongous church organ to record some of those pieces. And that's why I wanted the headphone experience, because some of the stuff is just like this giant swelling, just like one chord, just it gets so loud. And I think it's uh, it's operatic and it's amazing. but I do love that it's not overly sci-fi with like beep boops and uh, digital effects. <laughs> I like and that they took that they the robots do. and made them like kind of humanized them. Yeah, and I, the one of them is kind of like the uh, the sad robot from the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that during the movie. I was like, that's exactly it. Yeah, the uh, uh, Bill Irwin, you know, uh, Mr. Noodle himself, just <laughs> having a good old time. He doesn't talk on Sesame Street. I'd never heard his voice before. That's true, but that apparently that's what he sounds like. He's a sarcastic robot. He's a sad robot. Sad sarcastic robot. Hilarious. Um, the the theme reminds me of John Williams' Star Wars. Uh, theme in a sense um, in that it's just epic orchestral pieces, real stringed instruments and not digital effects and beat boops and whatnot. Um, Super cool. Uh, So I want to turn it over to you and kind of um, give me some of your overall thoughts on the movie, what you took away from it, uh, you know, go through some of your notes. What what did you got? I've hit most of this stuff on my notes. Um, There was one line that they said that I thought was pretty cheesy. Every rivet they've struck could have been a bullet. But when Michael Caine says it, it's, it's cool, right? Like it's, it's explainable away. whatsoever. He's like, it could have been a bullet. You know, did he say it? I don't Mm -hmm. think I thought that uh, Murph said it. No, it's, it's towards the beginning. I think when they're like, it was after the moment where their water world thing cost them basically 24 years that's was it where, after that oh that's where it is in my notes in the notes okay check the timestamp. <laughs> yeah okay yeah fair enough uh 
Yeah, a little bit of cheese is fine. Like I said, like uh, <laughs> she she even calls it out herself. Like when she solves the problem, when she gets all the uh, binary code or whatever, uh, Morse mm -hmm. code. From the watch, which is really cool. The way they did that was really cool. Um, I struggled a little bit with the way that they brought him out of the wormhole and into the Matrix situation where he was doing the communicating with Murph. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of that, I was like, this is weird. This looks like the Marriott carpet. What are we looking at? But then I thought it was really cool how he could kind of travel from moment to moment to moment, but it was always in her room. It was kind of, I don't know, but it was... It was interesting. I like the way they did that. I like the way that he was able to communicate with her through these different things. Mm -hmm. And you could see once they kind of showed it to you and explained it, it was like, okay, so here's the coordinates. They gave him the coordinates because they thought it was a good idea to get him on this mission. And then there's the moment where he's trying to leave and she's like, no, they say, wait, it says right here. It says, wait, And you, they show the moment where he's trying to tell her to not let him go. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard that. Out. I'm sure you've heard that TikTok sound too, where he's like beating on the thing. And he's just like crying. He's like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not my algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in my, it's on my for you page. Or it was. And um, then the moment where he gets to tip tap the little watch and then she immediately figures it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you saw that on a wa on a second hand doing. I'd be like, oh, that's too bad. I'm going to have to take this somewhere and get it fixed. And I'd put it in my pocket and move on with my life. Like he couldn't have done. I guess. But she also, she was kind of starting to figure out that the ghost was him. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're my you're my poltergeist. You're my ghostie. Mm -hmm. It was you all along. Mm -hmm. So then she's like, okay, this watch is doing a weird thing. Hang on. It's got to be him. Because she had already started kind of putting the pieces together. That was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And the way they led us along was cool. Yeah, I love, I, I love when time travel movies do that kind of thing. Like when it's at the end, it's like, oh, that's how that got set in motion yeah. at the beginning. Love those kinds of things. I like how they wrapped it up. Um, mm -hmm. The very, very end where they just show Anne on the baby planet. Planet baby, yep. And they give no explanation. And she just all alone constructed... All, well, I guess we don't know how long Wolf the wolf guy was alive. Yeah, we don't know what he built we already. We don't know what he was able to accomplish. And sh I think she had, um, she had the other robot, I think. Right? I think she had Chase. Yeah, she had one because the other one flew the thing into the wormhole to collect data with Coop. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, uh, Mr. Noodle was there with him. Mr. Noodle. <laughs> Mr. Noodle was there with Coop <laughs> in the in the uh, the black hole. Yeah. 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 Um, very cool. I still, I would love to know what their plan was with all them babies. I think that that um, Murph Station or Cooper Station, yeah, was flying. Maybe, because like but it was either Plan A or Plan B, according to Michael Caine. Now, what like was Plan A and Plan B? Now, what was B two? What was Step two of Plan B? Step one, babies. Step yeah. two, question mark. Like in the sequel, Interstellar's <laughs> two two inter two stellar. Look who's talking to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's just a, a a family comedy of Anne just be like, how do Anne I raise all these babies? Ninety seven babies, yeah. and nothing to feed them, and nowhere to put them, and no teachers, nothing. Maybe she wouldn't do ninety something at first. Maybe she'll only do twenty three, and they can call the movie Twenty Three and Me. 
Like, how am I going to raise all these babies? And it's really just, it's, it's comedy for comedy's sake. And they're falling into ravines and mm -hmm. floating off because there's not enough gravity. <laughs> gravity. <laughs> babies just running amok. Yeah. Uh, so funny. You got the metal robot guy clanging around trying to corral oh, he's the babies. Kind of like, yeah. Uh, he's kind of like Mr. Nanny kind of a thing <laughs> running around. That'd be great. That's hilarious. The, um, yeah, the, the, the Tesseract scene. Oh, yep. That was what it was called. Um, so a Tesseract is a four-dimensional cube. It's a cube that stretches out infinitely. And again, science and real stuff coming into it, that was their best interpretation of what a space like that could look like. Um, you know, it's everything is the same up and down as it is left and right. You know, that scene where he's kind of like flying over her room and there's mm -hmm. like infinite... Yeah. Versions he's of like, no, she's 12. She's 15. She's 17. Hold on. She's not big enough yet. Yeah. Um, super cool. I, I love that. Um, you know, like we can't visualize what a real Tesseract would look like, what a 4D cube would actually look like. So having it be constructed in that way that you can move through time. Like, I mean, they guessed wormholes pretty good. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Um, Cause like if you were a four dimensional person, like that's how, that's how time would be to you. It would be the same as moving front, front and back, left and right, up and down. You could move through time in that way, like pages in a book, which is gravity. Cause gravity, somehow. you know, somehow, um, super cool. I love that. Um, yeah, let's run through some iconic lines and scenes, which is really just scenes. Uh, that I want to talk about that I love so much. And then we'll wrap it up and get some final scene, uh, final what thoughts. What are we drinking? Tell me what this oh, is. That's right. I told you just before we came back here, this is a Murftini. Murftini, it is kind of a riff on a Empress 75 Martini. So it's Empress gin, lemon juice, maple syrup instead of simple syrup. And a splash of blue curacao to give it kind of like spacey blue vibes, and a spice, <laughs> and then a <laughs> spherical ice single spherical cube ice cube in there in the middle just for the singularity for the wormhole that kind of thing planets yeah planets and then a splash of uh, prosecco on top it's delicious it's delicious uh -huh. we'll make it real spacey and make, give it a cool spacey background yeah we have a guy for that we got a guy for that it's me um. Let's see. Uh, the the leaving scene is iconic. Um, it was the one, you know, like I mentioned, was featured in the trailer of him in the truck kind of leaving uh, the heightened emotions and feelings, the swelling music, and then like the overdubbed dialogue of the countdown of the ship taking off mm -hmm. and the sounds of the rocket and all that. It is um, it is I think it is a masterclass of uh, of a scene. Um and that's kind of started some of the unique shots with this movie. Uh, some of the, like the vehicle shots that Nolan got with this, um, where like the camera's like on the side of of the either like the spaceship or the truck or whatever. It's really interesting to have it be there as opposed to like, you know, when someone is typically driving away in a in a scene or whatever it's just it's like straight through the windshield yeah just having it kind of like be off to the side gave it just really sweeping uh unique kind of shot uh the wormhole jump um when the whole crew is all together and they're first going through the wormhole um kind of terrifying right of 
when everything's rattling and shaking and especially having it like being in it because of the headphones. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And just like the beeping and all that kind of stuff. And then she's like, uh, Anne Hathaway's kind of reaching out and her fingers are getting all bendy and the stuff. First handshake. Yeah. And turns out it was actually Coop the whole time. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Um, a neat visual way to show jumping through a wormhole, you know, doing typical space jump stuff. Um, you know, typical wormhole things. You know, like you, you've seen like space jumps and things like that in, in other sci-fi movies, but I thought this one was really Muppets. cool. Muppets. <laughs> uh, or Star Wars and things like that, which there are Muppets in there too. Yeah. Uh, Miller's Planet. Um, the Water World. That's the, uh-huh. Water World. Um, kind of terrifying again. Oh, man. A giant planet of only water, but you can stand in it. But, but it's, it's only six inches weight. deep, but it's tsunamis all the time yeah. because of the gravity. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. The, and this... then... Uh... Aunt Brand is that mm-hmm. her name in the movie? I just want to call her Anne, like like we're pals. <laughs> Anne is so hell bent to get this data that she almost kills herself, and she winds up killing that other guy whose name I don't remember. He but was in- right there at the ship. He could have made it. I guess I don't know. Chivalry, I guess. I don't. Yeah. Uh, who's that? Um, he's the guy from the first Hunger Games. He constructed the games. I think he had the the, oh. the neat beard cut out and the sharp pointy beard from the first one. He didn't um, hang around long enough to make really any impression. He was no, pretty inconsequential. He pretty yeah, he was. Um, an interesting fact about the scene in that uh, uh, on Miller's planet, the soundtrack has a constant ticking. I don't know if you caught that, uh, which was uh, ticking every one point two five seconds uh, in the background, which was to represent a day passing on Earth. Whew. So like every just tick, tick days. So that when they come back to the ship, it's and they see Romley for the first time, and he's like, "It's been twenty three years, you guys. What the hell?" And they're like, "Why didn't you fucking take a nap, bro?" He's like, "Oh, I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> I got real bored." <laughs> so, you could have been asleep this whole time. Now you have a gray beard. Yeah, your skin's <laughs> the same because because mm-hmm. you have melanin. Yep. Congratulations, friend. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell. It's great. Uh, but yeah, I I love that that little tidbit of of information the 23 year videos which is the scene that follows up uh that one is utter heartbreaking mm. and an incredible performance by um mcconaughey i think that was his first take oh really um, uh, i think i saw an interview or whatever where he's like um so i knew i was going to go in to shoot that uh, uh day one i was going to do that scene and um, he didn't want to see the broadcast footage of what he was going to see from his kids or whatever. He's like, so I knew like going in and getting that first take, like that's going to be the most authentic. So like, don't fuck it up, essentially. <laughs> no pressure, though. No pressure. Um, but it's such a good performance. Uh, it hurts, but it's so good. Uh, holy crap, it's Matt Damon. All right, he talked about the audible guffaws and what, what, what's of holy shit, that's Matt Damon. <laughs> Uh, as well as Topher Grace. Topher Grace? That's Topher Grace. Well, he just came out of nowhere. They both just, came out of nowhere at the same time. Well, about. we knew we were going to meet an astronaut on this planet. You know. I love just, that he was hinted at. You know. Was he? Yeah. So like when uh, when uh, Cooper and Murph first get there to NASA and they're, they're kind of giving the whole spiel about it. He's like, and of course, this was all led by our you know brave oh, he's doctor the, man the best of us yeah and they point he pointed out. to like a blurry picture in the background oh i wasn't yeah um but I, I don't know if that actually was a picture of matt damon or not at that point i was still probably in the farscape 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> we're, we're going to do a Farscape? Great, guys. It's like, when do we meet Rigel the 16th? Like, what's... <laughs> Tiana going to be there? That would have been hilarious. <laughs> he just scoots by on his little floating rascal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're really missing out. But if you do know what she's talking about, you are just <laughs> clapping. Uh, the twist and the great lies that come back that come out um, both from Professor Brand and um, uh, Alfred. Who, who else is lying? Uh, oh, Dr. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, it almost kind of undercuts Professor Brand's whole arc, but it makes sense from a human perspective of just like. Oh, uh, there really is no hope for everyone here. It's I really thought of, I had more time. Yeah, it's kind of like the dark nightness of it. Of you know, at the end, like when Harvey Dent dies, Batman's like, uh, "Don't tell anyone what happened. You tell them I did it, and I can be the bad guy." Kind of a thing, but no one will know. So it's sort of that kind of thing. The again, kind of Nolan esque of of that. Uh, but from a human perspective, it makes sense. I think uh, the black hole traversal is equally as trippy as the wormhole um, uh, space travel, but I think it's more terrifying because it's black and silent mm -hmm. uh, when he goes through it. Uh, I looked up um, why he wasn't like spaghettified <laughs> going into a black hole. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the that whole thing of like a black hole's gravity is so strong. Oh, it just rips you apart atom by atom oh. and it turns you literally into spaghetti it is a scientific term called spaghettification it rips all your atoms into strings of spaghetti as how do we know them. that i don't know science man mm. um but apparently like the black hole this one was so so big and the gravity was gentle enough they did their homework on it so that's why he didn't um yeah, I already talked about the uh, the rendering and the the science backing it up, and then seeing a real black hole doing it, super cool. And then the tesseract uh, is such a cool, like last visual stunning piece of this, uh, as well as uh, Cooper Station when he looks out and they're playing baseball and the ball goes straight up and yeah. wrecks somebody's house, <laughs> and the kids cheer because they're a bunch of turds. Um, the only joy they have, I guess, they're like we're on a giant spaceship and we're leaving Earth. We're at Saturn, so that's cool. Yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, any other thoughts or final thoughts on this movie that you have? No, I came around to it. Um, I cried a lot. Yeah. It's multiple views of this movie do not... Um, Doesn't make it easier. I can't imagine that it does. I couldn't even fucking talk about it. Mm -mm. Nope. Uh, you know, 2014, you know, this was that was 100 years ago or whatever. Uh, a, a much younger person than I am now, like still Same wrecked here. me. Yeah. Um, but watching oh, being you know, a parent through all of this, holy Jesus, absolutely the hardest watch. And I was like, maybe we shouldn't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot. But it's so good. Um, it got it, there. It got there. Uh, but this movie, it, I think it's so good. It is a triumph, a technical masterpiece, a performance powerhouse by a bunch of people. I look forward to Joe's cliff notes at the beginning of your next episode because he apparently really loves this movie too, and I want to I want to know more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he especially loves the soundtrack. Well, he's a score. he's a soundtrack. He's a soundtracky um, uh, score score nerd. Um, so much so that like that's his like concentrating listening music. Uh, you know, most people listen to general music or whatever. He listens to scores, which is cool. That's a good Joe tidbit. Uh, tidbit information 
Um, He's not here. We can tell all his business. We can. We should. But we won't. Um, the themes hit so hard. It's a really good popcorn movie, too, as well as being a dramatic science What's fiction. a popcorn movie? Just it's just like entertaining. Oh, okay. Just like what's going to happen next? Explosions, mm. intrigue, drama. It was really pretty. Very pretty. Yeah. Um, again, practical effects. Mm -hmm. you, know? um, you definitely get those Nolan type of moments that make it super in entertaining. Um, the ending kind of feels like the Dark Knight in a way. Uh, a lot of the shots, the overdubs uh, kind of stuff. And of course, the score just slaps, slaps you in the face the whole time because it's so fucking good. Hats off to Hans Zimmer. Uh, any other um, things you want to say about this movie? Are you glad you watched it? <laughs> I know it was a lot. I don't think I want to watch it again. Yeah. I think that was I once is good. This is kind of, yeah, this I, I put this in that camp of like movies that just like one and done's, you know. So like I don't feel like I would learn anymore by watching it again because um uh oh, I can't brain. Inception. You have oh. to watch that two or three times to even have the first clue about what's happening. Yeah. I don't feel like I need that with this. Yeah, but this one, if you have questions, you can kind of just You're like, not going to get answers. You're not really going to get answers. there are none. You could kind of like jump on Reddit, uh, like a Reddit rabbit, rabbit hole to get kind of just be like... Theories. Yeah, some theories or some of the, the science behind some of the things. But other than that, like, it's a, hard, it's a hard watch. Yeah. But it's a good watch. It was really pretty. It was but, a good one. And like I said, you know, sometimes you just need a good cry to like reset... <laughs> You're... Not like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if it were us, we'd be like, oh, you want me to leave for space for however many years? Well, see, there, <laughs> wife's dead. Uh -huh. So. Yeah. What What are you going to do? You're going to let John, John Lithgow take care of him? Otherwise, dickhead brother would have been in charge. Yeah. Nope. And you know what? He kind of, it. he kind of gets the shaft, the brother. Because uh, obviously Murph was the favorite. Because he's a dummy. Kid. Murph was the favorite kid. Yeah. Uh, so no wonder he turns out shitty. Yeah. So it makes sense. Well, and he's like complacent. He's like just happy to be there. He's like, no, I like corn, Dad. <laughs> and yeah, he's just like, <laughs> well, that's too bad. <laughs> Good thing I put on putting all my eggs in Murph. Yeah. Uh, cool. We're gonna get to end games here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what this is. We haven't even talked about it. Yep, that said Worm Jeopardy. <laughs> sure it did. <laughs> <laughs> for the video, uh, or actually, so okay, so for the audio listeners who don't watch the video, I cut that video in landscape, not in portrait.
So he didn't preview it in Epi Downey. So <laughs> I know <laughs> most of it got cut off. I bet, it, I bet it was cool. It was real cool. It said Worm Jeopardy. Sure, it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was either going to call it Worm Jeopardy uh, or Into the Wormhole, <laughs> but kind of like Into the Unknown yeah. from Frozen. Into the Unknown. Or Into the Wormhole. Um, but ultimately ended up on Worm Jeopardy because just the way that I wrote the questions. Uh, this this was something that uh, you gave me the idea last night. Oh, good. Before we went to bed, he said, this movie is full of holes. It is full of holes. Worm holes. So, <laughs> so this is a game. This is a game about fictional worms. Oh, okay. I might actually have a shot at this. You really might. Okay. Uh, this is, Bring it on. This is going to be good. So um, thank you again for the uh, ever never-ending inspiration uh, for this. Uh, question one of Worm Jeopardy. Mm -hmm. uh, your answer can come in a, in the form of a question. Doesn't have to. <clears throat> Number one, residing inside a crook in a wall, this worm touts a British accent and wants you to come inside and meet the missus. Oh, he's the worm from Labyrinth. Absolutely he's the right. The blue guy. That's right. And he says hello. Hello. Uh, question number two. This worm is friends with the real nasty fellow who lives in a can. Is it slimy? It's, it's slimy. <laughs> I know about worms. Yep. From Sesame Street. Yep. Those are two Muppets. Both Muppets. See, it comes back to Muppets it's always. Not, never not thinking about Muppets. Mm -hmm. uh, question three. These worms live on the planet Arrakis and wholly consume the planet's special feature of spice. What's the name of the movie? Oh, is it the movie with uh, Brooke Shields? No. No, it's not. I have no idea. We saw this movie while you were very, very pregnant with my sister. I was not pregnant with his sister. No. <laughs> she was there. <laughs> she was there to me. Oh, uh, Dune. Correct. <laughs> you got it. Three for three, even with the assist. Uh, question four. And I think this is what you're thinking of a bug. Oh, uh-huh. Brick Shields. Isn't that her? I don't know people's names. Denise Richards, that one. That yeah. one. They're just bugs. Space yeah. bugs. Starship troopers. Starship troopers. Yeah. Unrelated. Unrelated. Uh, question four. These worms are featured in this horror comedy film set in a desert town. Is it Beetlejuice? No. Starring Kevin Bacon. No. What? The movie title is also another word for earthquake or vibration. Of tectonic, okay, sorry, of I interrupted you. Do it again. <laughs> These worms are featured in this horror comedy film set in a desert town starring Kevin Bacon. The title is also another word for earthquake or vibration of tectonic plates. I don't have a clue. Is it like Tremor? That's a, I'd have, I don't know Tremors. what that... I've never heard of that movie. Tremors is the movie. Yeah. What? It's like an early 90s, late 80s movie. Never yeah. heard of Giant it. Giant worms. Yeah. Uh, question five. This sentient worm is housed in a robotic supersuit, complete with a blaster gun. Jam! Uh, and on occasion uses his own head as a whip. Correct. I played the Earthworm Jim video game on the PC back back many, many moons ago. I played it on this uh Sega. And, and I can hear it. I can hear the different things that he did when you whipped his head around or like like I can hear it in my brain. <laughs> it lives there it infinitely. Lives there. Yeah. Rent free. Mm. Uh question six. These worms live on a remote asteroid waiting for the next spaceship to seek cover deep within their mouths. Oh, it's Star Trek. Star, fuck, Star, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Uh, most notably, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, they got like, was. oh god, they got like saw teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're called. Uh, they have a name, but I didn't get it. Okay. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars. Is it's the, the Star Wars. Is the answer six for six? Way to go. Question seven. These black and white worms well, from this, this film called the planet Saturn, their home. A favorite snack of theirs are Bio Exorcists. Beetlejuice. Well done. Seven for seven. Hate them. You hate them. I hate them. Shane worms. <laughs> Uh, question eight. This toy worm from the 80s are adorned in cozy pajamas, and when you give their tummy a little squeeze, their heads give off a pleasant glow. It's a glow worm. It's a glow worm. Eight for eight. Question nine. This cartoon worm is an enormous monster who terrorizes the townsfolk of Bikini Bottom. Jill screaming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Squidward's not a worm. <laughs> He doesn't terrorize things. Plankton's kind of a terrorist. I don't. There's a worm. There's a worm, a notable worm from like one of the episodes. Oh, he has a Jill. It's not as it's not a name, but uh, it is from SpongeBob. Okay, well, yeah, it was. Did a, I win? An Alaskan bullworm. <laughs> oh, uh, question nine. You missed that one. Uh, I didn't miss it. I knew it was SpongeBob. Did you say SpongeBob? Yeah. Okay, I'll give it to you. That's fine. Uh, and last, all I'm trying to do is name the show. You said Bikini Bottom. I know where that is. You know where that is. Uh, yeah, the Alaskan bullworm. Uh, question ten. This high fantasy creature was called the Great Worm, or the Father of Dragons, and was one of the foremost lieutenants of Morgoth during the First Age, as described by this author. That sounds like Tolkien. It is. (laughs) You did it. I did it. Ten for ten. Nine and a half. Nine and a half out of ten. Ain't bad. Yeah. Um, We did it. We did Interstellar without Joe. Without, well... Joe, Joe was well, there. Well, no, he wasn't. That was Matt Damon. That was Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Joe Damon. was nowhere. Joe was nowhere to be seen. No Joe's. Detected. No Joe's. Can, yeah. No Joe's here, folks. Um, uh, I don't think we talked about where we were. Uh, this is the. Well, you're here all the time. I am here this all the is time. Where you always record. But this is a different Except view. I'm usually over there. over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last time we did this, we were in the living room. Uh, this in is, this same chair, though. Same chair. But the Christmas tree goes where this chair is. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. So this chair had to go. So we had to move the whole podcast. The whole thing. But luckily, we are mobile and we are flexible. And I think this is more cozy. Yeah, I like this better. And I feel like I can be a little louder without having to worry about waking the baby. Yeah. 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 Is she stirring? Is she fine? She's good? She's fine. <laughs> She's whatever. She's asleep. This is UCU after bedtime. So no big deal. Um, this is great. This is fun. I love doing these, uh, just as much fun as the first time. I feel like you give me these movies and you're like, this is so meaningful to me. And I'm like, what the hell? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> but this one was good. This one was good to you. Yeah. It really came around. I didn't. It hurt you. I, in the first half hour, I didn't know if we were going to get there, but this one hurt you in the end. It did. Oh man. <sighs> McConaughey got you. You got McConaughey. I don't want to be McConaughey. I don't <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch Dallas Buyers Club next. And that one's that one hurts for different reasons. No headphones. No headphones. Don't need it. Um, but yeah, so next is December coming up. And I think we're going back to like Christmassy movies. And I can't remember what Joe's pick is, but I'm going to make Joe go first. You've done two in a row. I've done two in a row. So uh, Joe's going to go first. Actually, wait, I have the notes here. And Joe is going to do... A movie. Oh, yeah? He's going to talk oh. about a movie. Well, one of these days, we might actually get a TV show or something in. And I had a really good idea for a November episode, but it would have had to be a Justin and Joe thing. And, but Joe is and out of, out of Joe town. Joe is MIA. 
He's well. He's he's not missing. He's just not here in action. Oh, what would you call well, that? I mean, then? He, he is known. He is in a known place <laughs> <Okay>. in action. <laughs> he is somewhere in action, just not here. Uh, uh, I think this is still his choice. Um, the Family Stone, and I know nothing about that movie. Is it like Stone As Cold? In Sly? Sly, Sly in the Stone, Family Stone. Sly in the Family That's a Stone. Thing I've heard of. Oh yeah, maybe. Isn't uh, that a music group? Emma Stone. Yes. Uh, Emma Stone. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Keith. Uh, uh, Many Keith stones. Many we will stone. leave no stone unturned. Oh, man. I hope that's the game. <laughs> okay, and then Joe, I'm gonna I hope you're listening. And then I'm going to do a Rolling Stones <laughs> cover. It's going to be great. I'm going to do my best Mick Jagger. <laughs> it's going to be great. Stand the mic up. Uh-huh. We'll hang a bunch of crap off it. That's Stephen Tyler. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> They're all a hundred years old. They are. They're all. They're all. They're gonna live forever. Yeah, uh, but not if they master gravity first. Uh, that was the uncultured cinematic universe. <laughs> Catch us. I'll just take a long, really wet nap. Yeah, <laughs> it is a wet nap. <laughs> it's so wet. You got to stay. Another question I had. I have so many questions. You got to stay wet if you're gonna be asleep for a long time. You know. I don't know. Uh, that was the uncultured cinematic universe. <laughs> That's it, folks. Catch us uh, wherever you get your pods casted. Uh, on YouTube, just search for the Uncultured Cinematic Universe, and of course, uh, see Ryan's great work and interact with all the stories and things over on Instagram That's at me. at UCU Podcast, and uh, we're on TikTok, but I don't remember what the handle is. Uh, they blocked my my Eternal Sunshine video. Oh, they so. did. Mm-hmm. Damn. So we'll We've put only it on. Posted like five things over there. We'll put I it don't on have Instagram. that password, so whatever goes on on TikTok is not. I got, I got, don't put my name on that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, we're just fine. Um, but yeah, so in a couple of weeks, we're going to do the family stone and uh, talk about all the stone folks. All the stones, the stony. Uh, the rock people. Oh, maybe from, we're doing the crudes. Maybe the crudes or the people, the the rock people from Frozen that show up magically. Oh, the trolls. Magic stone trolls. The trolls, yeah. Maybe just rocks, I guess. Uh, catch us later where, whenever you do the thing. <laughs> Bye.